Hey everybody, welcome back to Noggin Notes. Thanks for downloading our podcast and logging in and listening wherever you are and however you may be listening. As always, Noggin Notes is the only podcast that I am aware of that aims to educate and enrich your noggin by bringing to you matters of psychology, mental wellness, emotional functioning, spirituality, and a whole gamut of other health-related topics that have to do with your mind and your body. We're brought to you by not uh, by Noggin Notes. Of course, we're brought to you by Noggin Notes. It's great that we sponsor ourselves. <laughs> we're brought to you by Audible. Audible is an Amazon company, and it hosts the largest, completely unmatched selection of audiobooks and original audio content anywhere. And if you want to help out our podcast, you can do so by going to audibletrial.com slash noggin notes and you can sign up for a free 30-day trial there's no commitment uh you do have to enter your credit card so don't get spooked when that happens but uh it is free you can cancel anytime inside of 30 days and for signing up you do get a free audiobook and that gets to be yours and you get to keep it even after you cancel the trial if you if you do so but we encourage you not to cancel and actually enroll in a membership with audible because they have an unmatched selection of audiobooks that they get to accumulate because they're an Amazon company and Amazon has a very far and wide reach of who they can contact and how they can bring that content in. So please check out Audible through audibletrial.com slash noggin notes and download your free 30-day trial and help us out in the process. This podcast interview is me talking to Melanie Dyer of another podcast called but have you considered therapy? And I think it's wonderful. She's going to explain how she got the name. I think it's awesome. They also have an Instagram channel that you can follow, and it's at considered therapy. And I I would highly recommend checking it out. But we talk about all things mental health and how we get into it and battling some of the stigma. And, and I'm just not going to give away the rest of it. So you can listen and learn. And if you want, support them as well. Check out, but have you considered therapy and Melanie's podcast? It's 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 quite good and also entertaining. And we like to have good and entertaining people on our podcast as well. So hopefully, sometime in the future, I'll get to reciprocate and be a guest on hers. And uh, that's how the world go round goes round. There's uh, plenty of stuff to cover and lots of people to be helped and lots of information to flesh out. So. Uh, we're not interested in competing or uh, you know trash talking or anything like that. We want to help elevate one another, and and I'm I'm pretty pleased that that she was able to come on the show and and help us out with with our podcast. So, without further delay, this is my interview with Melanie Dyer of But Have You Considered Therapy, the podcast and the Instagram channel. Enjoy. Notes podcast, and I'm chatting with Melanie Dyer. Melanie's a your licensed professional counselor intern, right? LPC intern. Yes, that's correct. And you were in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Also correct. And you have a podcast as well. So thanks for being a guest on this one. And you also have yeah. an Instagram channel in the name of that podcast, and and it's called. But have you considered therapy? And I think yeah. that's really cool. Uh, so if you want to follow him on Instagram, it's uh, at consider therapy. Uh, is the handle and you should because we all like Instagram followers uh, but not just because it feeds our egos we like Instagram followers because the more people who follow an Instagram platform the more likely it is that other people will see it and we think that what we're offering is is quite valuable it's not just pictures of ourselves in the Maldives um, 
or you know modeling the latest swimwear but we're actually sharing stuff that helps people and and um and it i've said this before like all this information doesn't do any good locked up in my head uh so if you follow us and other people follow us it sort of starts to sound like a multi-level marketing uh team but (laughs) more people get access to the information that we're offering and we think it's pretty cool as we're talking about therapy and and you're your your name is but have you considered therapy and i think that's so cool uh, because it implies that someone is in some state of uh you know disequilibrium misery confusion needing help and you're maybe like overhearing this and with the Im- implied response of well but have you considered therapy tell me <laughs> yeah. tell me how that came to be yeah exactly so um yeah it's a the the name came about it was an inside joke between my boyfriend and me um he is an avid therapy goer um as am i and we talk about therapy a lot and how much it's helped both of us um and you know we started just saying this little this funny little phrase when we would see people out in the world um either in person or on twitter or facebook or whatever um engaging in what we consider to be some pretty objectively problematic behavior. Um, And we would sort of look at each other and and sort of say, but have you considered therapy? Um, And it also kind of stemmed from this place where, you know, I'm, I'm sure this happens to you too as a mental health professional, but I get a lot of people who know that I'm a therapist and will message me, send me texts, you know, ask me in person and kind of say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with X, Y, Z, you know, do you have any advice for me? Um, and I think that a lot of folks are hoping that I'll have some great wisdom or great insight and I'll be able to, you know, give them a mindfulness technique or I'll be able to solve the problem by, you know, just kind of accessing my, my therapy brain. Um, and, Typically, what my response is, is, well, have you considered therapy? Um, And, you know, a lot of folks will be surprised by that. And a lot of folks will have a lot of reasons that they haven't considered it or they don't want to consider it. And, um, you know, that's okay and understandable. There are a lot of barriers to therapy, both, um, I mean, social barriers, economic barriers, literal physical barriers, all kinds of stuff. But it is sort of the canned response that I give people when they're struggling with something. It's like, well, have you considered therapy? I think that's, I yeah, I think that's totally appropriate too, because you know, if you, if you got a rattling in your car and you know, you go to your buddy who's like, Hey, your dad's worked on cars forever. You know, we put them together and whatnot. And I got this rattling, like the response should be, have you considered a mechanic? And right. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Good, good idea. I just didn't want to pay for it. And by the way, don't you have a magic wand? Well, no, it turns out yeah. mine, mine broke. I've yet to visit yeah, exactly. all vendors to get it fixed. Yeah. We're so we're so willing to go to all kinds of other professionals for stuff that we recognize, you know, we don't have the expertise to solve. So we will take our car to the mechanic and we'll, you know, we'll call a plumber or electrician when we have problems in our home and we'll, we'll go to the doctor if we're sick or if we're injured. Um, you know, that stuff seems to come really naturally to people for the most part. I mean, I think there are definitely some stubborn folks out there who think they know better than that everybody but for the most part we are willing to engage with those professionals in those moments and um for whatever reason and i think there are a lot of reasons uh, people don't feel that way about mental health services and um think that either they can solve it on their own or maybe even that they just should be able to solve it on their own yeah. um 
and you know i think that it's important for folks to know that you don't have to do it alone and you you shouldn't have to either right yeah totally and and we can talk about access and you know whether we're not in a, we're in a privileged position to say well just just go to a professional right you know not everybody has access to professionals and not everybody has insurance that they'll take and some of them are priced out and, and all sorts of things but the, i think the the underlying assumption here is that we you and I, uh, people of our ilk, uh, we, we go to school for three years in grad school, and then we accumulate a couple thousand hours typically in our state supervised internships before we're really allowed to be, um, you know, set free and, and fly on our own. And there's a lot of knowledge acquisition that comes along with that, much like being an ASE certified mechanic. um, We have little stamps of approval that say certified also. They might be certificates, they might be licenses given by the state, or they might be uh, national from a national association or even an international affiliation. And and along with those comes uh, a stamp of minimum criteria uh, that have been met so that we can at least guarantee some minimum level of competence so that you're not going out and and hurting people or, um, you know, giving them bad information and that kind of thing, which you do run the risk of when you, when you have conversations with your friends. And I'm, I'm not saying at all that friends can't be therapeutic. That's, that's not at all what I'm saying. I think that the idea is that if you've continually hit a wall in your life where you're psychologically struggling and the friends and the barbers and the bartenders aren't helping anymore, have you considered therapy? <laughs> like, yeah. Go to the professional. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, and that's such a good point, right? Where it's like, friends are a great therapeutic tool. Podcasts can be a great therapeutic tool. Books, um, exercise, you know, all this stuff can really be helpful, but it's not always enough. And like you said, if you kind of keep bumping up against stuff and you've exhausted all of the resources that you have, yeah, it might be time to consider therapy. And I think that, that there's a there's a twofold consideration there too when you when you start to cherry pick things like articles and uh, bullet lists and podcasts and that kind of thing is that um, even though we live in a YouTube culture where I can go on and you know reasonably find out how to change out my my air conditioner in my in my car or whatever that I would never tackle that by the way you have to like remove the dash and it would cost me more in tools than it would yeah. anyway um but there's a YouTube video for everything from you know knife making to uh you know hot water repair service and now we're starting to contribute to it with our own profession we're like here here's a tidbit here's a snippet here's an insight on emotional functioning but uh the twofold uh problem that I talk about or that I alluded to is one you don't necessarily know the context uh, from which it arose, and that's something that you can only really acquire through a deep study of, of a subject. So you might only get a, a little bit of symptom relief if you look at a, a short list of um, cognitive distortions, for example, and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm thinking in a binary way, and it's giving me some anxiety. Okay, but where does that originate, and why is that skill useful? So that's, that's one part of it. The other part is that standalone techniques, if plucked from the interwebs, can actually be dangerous when you're yeah. dealing with things like substance use disorders or eating disorders that are quite honestly life-threatening in many in many okay. respects. So you don't want to do it just on your own. Uh, you do want to seek some some professional guidance, and we try to take away the the mystery behind that. And we don't want to we don't want to pretend like we're we're doing some parlor trick or you know um, operating from behind a curtain because truly what we acquire in our our knowledge gain through through school and supervision is something that anybody can do. Um, but if you don't want to do it because you're busy with your own career, and God bless you for being busy with your own career, yeah. um, 
come pick our brains and then in, in return we'll probably go pick your brain about accounting or whatever it may be <laughs> right exactly yeah it, it makes sense to turn to someone who knows what they're talking about when you when you have a problem that you don't necessarily know how to solve um and you know i think you you spoke of all the all the barriers that that people experience when they're trying to get a therapist and and all of those are entirely valid but i would love to totally at least eliminate the barrier of i think i should be able to handle this all on my own <laughs> right right yeah and, and i don't know that that exists anywhere but in our field and i think i think one of the strongest origins of it is that the fact that because we've all walked the earth together as humans and we do human things and we all communicate with the same language there's this inherent idea that um I don't need to necessarily rely on somebody else for that help when, when it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, we're all community oriented beings and there's literally no way we could make it in life without other people. In fact, there, I've shared this before on the podcast. There's an anthropological theory that suggests the reason homo sapiens evolved and not some of the other hominids is because we hung together in communities to think, to, to tolerate things like predator attacks and climate change. And that's why, so goes the theory, at least, that uh, Neanderthal died off and Australopithecus and those those types. So we literally do need each other. So you might as well just level up and go, I need help mentally, psychologically, emotionally. And um, and there's reasons for why we don't, and they're cultural and, and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, let's, let's, let's at least lift that up and say, hey, it's okay to ask for help. Yeah, no, that would, if, if I achieve nothing in my life, if I'm able to, you know, have a few people think about um, think about going to therapy who didn't want to go before that I'll feel like life my life has been a success <laughs> good for you I like I like that you keep the bar low at a few uh, I, yeah, you know, personally <laughs> I want everyone to you know to be better not to not to one-up you but uh, literally my goal is the whole world uh, sorry yeah, Mel that's- Hey, that's an admirable. But between the two of us, I think we'll we'll do okay. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. So, uh, talking about barriers and stuff, you one of your personal, um, I guess you could say it's a, it's your uh, your passion is that you like going after diversity and pursuing inclusion of more a broader representation of humanity. I guess you could say in our professional field. Um, your, your, your own podcast, I mean, your, your intro is, you know, it's a podcast about mental health and social justice. And I think that it's, I think it's an appropriate time in the conversation to ask you, what problems do you see in our profession and what are some possible solutions to that? Yeah, no, I'm so, I'm so thankful that, um, you're giving me some space to talk about this because it is something that is extremely important to me. And I don't think we, we in the field talk about this very often, but, it's expensive to become a therapist. You know, it is. It is. Grad school's not cheap. Sorry? Grad school's not cheap. No, grad school's not cheap. Undergrad's not cheap. Um, You know, and I think about my own experience where, you know, I come from a very privileged background. Um, Both parents are college educated. Um, You know, we're middle to upper middle class. And so my parents paid for my whole undergrad uh, education, which was incredible. I had no That's debt awesome. coming out of undergrad, which is unusual. Um, mm-hmm. And that allowed me to be able to pursue a master's degree. And, you know, they kind of let me know, like, hey, <laughs> you're this one's on you, um, which mm-hmm. felt fair. Um, and so I got some student loans and, you know, started the master's degree, which all told cost me about $50,000 just in tuition, you know, not in life expenses or anything like that. 
Um, and there were many times throughout my degree where, um, you know, the workload was so intense that I wasn't able to work as much. And I really had to rely on that safety net of my parents to back me up um, with, you know, helping me out with some extra money, paying some of my bills, um, you know, things like that. And then even now, my parents um, still help me out quite a bit. I have big student loan payments, we have to pay for supervision. I think that's something that a lot of people don't know is that when you're starting out as a therapist and you're in that kind of internship phase before you're fully licensed, um, you have to meet with a supervisor every week and you have to pay for that. Um, mm -hmm. And some supervisors charge like $150, $200 a session. Um, so you're looking at, you know, six to $800 a month to be able to do your job. Um, and so there are just there are all these incredible expenses that come along uh, with becoming a therapist. And, you know, like anything, um, if it costs a lot of money, then it excludes certain people. It excludes people that can't pay for it. It excludes people that don't have the safety net of, um, you know, either parents or grandparents or a community to um, provide them with the money that they need to achieve these goals. And so... You know, we talk a lot about um, inclusion in terms of the therapy clients, right? And, you know, how do we, how do we see more clients, um, you know, who aren't just white women, which is the, the group that is most likely to come to therapy? Um, you know, how do we see black clients and Latinx clients and Asian American clients? And, um, you know, how do we see clients from um, many different groups and I think part of it is we have to create a more diverse crowd of actual therapists because for many people it can be hard to sit in a room with someone who you don't feel like you have anything in common with mm -hmm. and so if you're sitting across from someone who does not share the same life experiences as you, does not share the same skin color as you, does not come from the same socioeconomic background as you, um, that's not to say that they can't be a competent therapist and that you couldn't have a good experience with them, but it might be really hard to get in the room in the first place. And right. there might be some work that doesn't get done because they don't have that cultural understanding. Um, and so, you know, counselors, I think, do and should work to be culturally competent, right? I mean, we should learn about all the different populations of people that we could potentially serve. But the reality of it is that just it sometimes it's easier to talk to somebody like you. And I think that with therapy or with, you know, becoming a therapist being such an expensive endeavor and requiring things like unpaid internships, which I think are terrible. Um, Whoa, they do that in your state? Oh, yeah. Wait, you have an unpaid internship and you pay for supervision? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, like... Um, not just like in general, like um, totally unpaid internships that, you know, essentially um, only allow people who are in. Elite oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Acro across the, the broader swath of society, not uh, not just in, not in our field. I don't know anybody yeah, yeah. who does an unpaid internship in our field. That would be horrific. Yeah, that'd be it'd be really hard. Although, I mean, sometimes, you know, they, you do have to um, work in spaces that are either unpaid or paid very low because that's what's available to um, people in internship positions and right. with LPC intern licenses and stuff. So, I mean, basically all that to say, 
I think that, um, you know, we, by having all of these requirements uh, and not helping people to be able to afford therapy or sorry, be able to afford grad school, be able to afford to be in these internships. I think we automatically exclude a really broad swath of the population. And I think that the, um, the field suffers because of it, because we're missing out on a lot of probably really brilliant, wonderful people who have great insight and who could make the therapy community more welcoming for, um, for other sets of clients. I couldn't agree more. I think some. I think there's another barrier also in addition to economics, and then of course it, that those economics tend, as we typically know, to break along uh, racial lines. And mm-hmm. um, the, I think that the barrier, though, is the fact that in almost everybody's head in America, uh, therapy or counseling or talk therapy, whatever whatever word we want to use to describe it, is reserved for those with a graduate degree. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's, that it's going to sound like heresy and it's okay. I've said heretical things on this podcast before. It's my podcast. I get to say what I want. Damn it. Um, so, but, um, but for people who hold these licenses that have gone through the hoops and, uh, and paid their dues, quote, and you can't see the air quotes that I'm putting up cause it's audio, but, um, they've paid their dues, uh, sometimes in literal terms through actual money. And then others, other terms like the unpaid internships you mentioned and just slugging it out with, uh, you know, unpleasant work circumstances or whatever. Well, they get to the end and then they get this, uh, you know, handed down from on high blessing from the state to go (laughs) practice. And then they get to bill insurance. And then they think that, uh, that's the only way. And I'm not saying everybody thinks like this, but there is a mentality that says this is the only way. And what we're starting to see now is an emergence of really cool things like community health workers, which are Mm -hmm. bachelor level, uh, holders. And we see peer support specialists who are simply people who have endured a mental illness or a substance abuse uh, addiction, and they have recovered, and now they're giving back. And these people are getting paid to go connect with, you know, like you said, people like them and create some camaraderie and build some rapport and and distribute some healing. Um, And for, for a little bit longer time, I don't know if this is true in all states, but many states that I know of have something called psychosocial rehabilitation and basic skills trainer mm-hmm. uh, workers who go into homes and they work largely with youth, but they also work with um, the intellectual disab- disability population. And they teach things like basic skills, like tying your shoes and putting food in your belly, but also social skills. And yeah. those are typically bachelor level workers who can absolutely bring healing to certain levels of community. But a lot of times, those very valuable services are poo-pooed by people in our profession of our stripe because we're somehow afraid that there's not enough hurt to go around and somehow we're going to be able to help everybody who needs it anyway, which is completely ludicrous. And so I think that's another obstacle, too, is that the mentality that you can only receive the help that you need from this graduate degree and, and then the subsequent internship and the thousands of hours and the license. And and I would I would love to call shenanigans on that. I just... I don't know where we're going to fund the people to, to bring that help unless they do it out of their own good free will and accord. Maybe you have oh, some ideas. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, I think there is um, certainly like an elitist attitude within the therapy community. And, you know, it, it's easy to fall into that, right? Because you have this idea of like, well, I, you know what, I did all this schooling and I did all this work and, you know, I'm... Like, why does somebody else get to call themselves, you know, a mental health professional if they haven't done all the work that I have? Um, I think it's easy to kind of fall into that. And, you know, certainly we can make we can make designations between different 
mental health professionals. We already do, you know, I'm an LPC. I can't perform the duties of a psychiatrist. Um, You know, that, that already exists, but, and I know that there are, you know, lots of different kind of feuds in between all the, all the different spaces in the, in the uh, mental health field as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, and you're right. A lot of that becomes about like, well, you know, how do we fund those programs and how do we get those people, um, into positions where they can help people. And so, you know, I, I am well aware that there's not like an easy, immediate answer to any of this. Um, but I think it's just something that we need to be thinking about and talking about because if we truly want, you know, people, and by that, I mean all people to be in a mentally healthy space, which is what I would really love. Um, we have to make therapy accessible to people. And that's not just about making it cheap enough. You know, that's about putting people in, in the room, um, that have the ability to connect with people in different communities. Right. Uh, what, what kind of success have you seen or, or what kind of programs have you encountered that actually encourage, uh, broader diversity. And, I, and again, I want to I want to hang a couple of uh, shingles out here so that people are aware. Um, privilege is not a bad word. It's just mm-hmm. a neutral observation of somebody who came from something that you know elevated them that maybe they didn't earn. Like my parents earned my privilege, <laughs> and I'm perfectly mm-hmm. okay with that. I'm also not running from it and hiding in shame and you know self flagellating like I like I'm I'm some sub subhuman now. Uh, no, it's just I need to acknowledge that and I need to be very grateful for it. And, uh, and not, you know, beat other people about the head and shoulders and be like, why aren't you where I am? Um, so privilege is not a bad word and diversity does not break along only gender and ethnic lines. There's economic diversity. There's diversity of thought. There's diversity of, um, in entertainment and enjoyment and hobby. And a lot of those and diversity of religion and spiritual faith. So I'm, what I'm, I, I guess I'm trying to figure out here is how do we draw in, people who are not of the traditional stripe in this profession. And and for those of you who may not be aware, traditionally our profession started with a bunch of males who are in the psychiatry field, and then it branched to males who are non-psychiatry, psychology, you know, um, uh, master's level. And then females started coming in, and then it tilted much more toward female in the last probably 40 years. Um, and that's who, who mostly dominates our field. I think it's probably a three to one ratio, if I remember correctly, uh, mm-hmm. female to male yeah, in our profession. Good. And we have almost no ethnic minorities represented and, and even fewer LGBT, uh, yeah. folks represented. And beyond that, it's, it's really hard to discern who's, who falls into categories of a different demographic stripes, like the, the religion, the hobby, the, um, you know, the, the socioeconomic stratification, like, did you, or did you not come from poverty or foster care? You know, that kind of thing. It's really hard to yeah. discern that because we just, we're just not known for tacking up those kinds of, uh, self identifiers on our, you know, psychology today website or whatever. It's usually, it asks, you know, what do you specialize in treating? It doesn't say what's your background and you know, how can I identify with you for that? They give us like two paragraphs. <laughs> Right. Yeah. No. And and that's such an interesting point that you bring up that we don't really like announce that kind of stuff. And I think it comes from this weird space of like, you know, maybe like listing, for example, your race or your like sexual orientation um, or your gender identity on your website. Like, like people might perceive that as like an exclusion, like like inversely, like 
yeah. prejudicial thing. Well, I, th- I think I think it comes from the, um, or at least from what I gather from my my grad school, is that it comes from the uh, old school veiled therapist. Like you know, turn around, sit on that couch, and you're not going to look at me, and you're not going to know anything about me. I'm going to know everything yeah. about you as a client, but you don't get to know anything about me. And then um, you know, Rogers came along and kind of turned that upside down, and um, now we've got a little bit more of. Uh, personal self-disclosure, but I was taught that you you self-disclose only to heighten rapport so that you don't risk making the session about you. Um, but then we've got this different school of thought that says what you're alluding to, which is, well, if you put up on your website that you, you're a Christ, you know, non-denominational Christian, for example, uh, then you're automatically turning off everybody who is not a Christian. It's like, well, no, no, that's not true at all. Um, you know, if you hang up that you're 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 openly gay male then uh all of a sudden no straight people can come see you it's like no 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 that's that's not true either but there's definitely a fear there that somehow we're we're inherently discriminatory by announcing what we're good at <laughs> like it doesn't make any yeah, sense yeah no and it is it, it is strange and i and i understand where that perception comes from um because there may be people if you announce that you're a gay male on your website there may be people that say oh i don't want to go to that guy and you know that's that's their stuff like that's you know that's right. something they they need to kind of reflect on um but i think that you're 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 totally right you know that that really old school version of the therapist who is expressionless and emotionless and doesn't say anything about themselves and doesn't have any pictures of their family in their office you know um, but by, by the and, way, what Mel's talking about here does not happen anymore. And if it does, don't go to that person. <laughs> yeah, that's icky. <laughs> if you're listening, you're like, I don't want to go to therapy because it's, it sounds like Sigmund Freud on the couch and he's smoking in his office. Uh, no, that's not what we do anymore. So don't, don't let that be a barrier. Yeah, we're luckily moving a, a far away from that and starting to, I think, realize that like there's so much richness in like relational um, experiences and connection with people and it's impossible to connect with somebody who is staring at you with no expression on their face and won't answer any personal questions about themselves yeah um, well you think they're judging you too oh of course yeah i mean it just feels weird it feels like what are we even doing in here you know i could talk to my wall for free <laughs> um, <laughs> and um you know and i and I also acknowledge that it's really important for therapists to have boundaries with their clients um, and, you know, also never to disclose anything that causes, like, your client to have to take care of you, um, anything like that, anything that would make your client sort of feel bad or anything. So there, there are limits to it, but, um, but I do think that there is a lot of value in disclosing similarities. I mean, I, I've, I've, in my sessions, I'll have clients, you know, and they'll they'll talk about like, Oh, I, you know, this happened and I had this thought and does that make me crazy? And I'll say, Oh my God, I think that all the time, you know? Right. Yeah. And, you're normalizing it for him. Yeah. Exactly. Normalizing it, letting them know like, yeah, dude, it's, it's cool. Like you're not the only one with these thoughts. It's fine. Um, and so I think that, you know, there is value in, in disclosing things about us that we find to be important about us. Right. You know, maybe, maybe you're, you don't consider your, your, um, race to be a big part of your identity. Maybe you don't consider your gender identity to be a big part of your identity, right? So you don't necessarily need to broadcast things that you don't feel particularly connected to. But if it is something that you're really connected to, if you do um, think of those traits um, as big parts of your identity, like, I think it makes sense to 
to let people know that because there may be something that they see there that really makes them feel comfortable, um, makes them feel willing to engage with you. Um, and I think it would allow people, a lot of people who, who probably don't feel super comfortable with the idea of therapy to kind of go like, oh, well, maybe that, that girl kind of reminds me of my sister, you know, maybe I could talk to her, you know, that girl, you know, that guy seems like he, um, really understands where I'm coming from and, and, you know, he's kind of part of my community too. So, um, you know, maybe I can talk to him. Uh, I think that there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, no, and to that point, um, anybody who's listened to this podcast recently uh, will know that I've interviewed and recently Zephyr Wellness, which is my agency, has partnered with Walk the Talk America. There's this whole group of people out there who are gun owners who avoid therapy for this uh, completely misperceived reason that somehow they're, they're going to lose their gun rights if they come and seek treatment. And as a consequence, people are getting sick and they're dying. And, um, and some of those gun owners are not just... Um, people who like to go plink in the hills and they're competitive shooters and that kind of thing, but some of them are police officers and military, current and former, who, by the way, police officers now are dying at a rate uh, that's by by their own hand. They're dying by suicide faster and more frequently than they're dying in the line of duty. Uh, first time we've ever seen that. And they're afraid to come in and get help because they think they're going to be judged. And I think that's horrible. And so that's part of the, the partnership there. So there's a, like a, a half plug, but it's relevant to the conversation that, um, you know, maybe we, we all need to kind of come out of the closet a little bit with our own personal, um, interests and make it, make a warm, welcoming, inviting environment for, for folks of all stripes. And the best way to do that, like you say, is to recruit more people into the field who are of a diverse nature so that we're not just this, you know, homogenized, uh, whitewashed uh, community of, of psychotherapists. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that a part of that, too, in terms of the recruitment is, um, you know, similarly making um, that space a welcoming space for more diverse therapists. Um, and I well, I'll share a little story. I'm not going to name any specific names because I don't want to stir up drama, but I was drama. Um, I was part of a a Facebook group that was, you know, mental health professionals. Um, Uh And there was a, and it was just something where, you know, we could all kind of, um, it was like a local group and we could provide each other with referrals and we could ask for, you know, advice, consultation, announce seminars, stuff like that. Just, I'm sure those exist everywhere. Um, And so, there was an incident where um, one of the uh, members of the group uh, made a really culturally insensitive comment to um, one of the uh, Asian American therapists. Um, And then another uh, group member sort of came to the defense of the culturally insensitive group member. And it just got to this really like nasty altercation where the therapists of color in the group um, were really being kind of silenced and invalidated. And um, a lot of the uh, white members of the group were, you know, kind of digging in their heels and um, sort of saying like, well, no, I don't really think we did anything wrong. Um, And it was really just kind of awful to watch it play out because first of all, you know, you're like, you people are therapists, like, come on, we got, got to be better than this. Um, and you know, it ended up being that some of the therapists of color actually just like created a whole different group. Um, and, 
they actually, and I know that they had a, a specific group for therapists of color, um, which I think makes a lot of sense to be able to have that space. But I also, it also just felt like, wow, like what are, like we are not making this a space that is welcoming, that is inclusive. Like we have sent a very clear message right now that, you know, um, we're not going to be reflective. We're not going to be self-analytical about our own, our own racial biases or our own biases about whatever. Um, and it just, it felt like such a bummer moment where I was like, ugh, like I, I really expected more, um, and was really disappointed. And I was talking to, um, one of my uh, friends who's, um, Latina and she was just like, yeah, you know, I don't, I'm not really surprised when I see that kind of stuff in the group. And I, and I was just like, man, I, I'm so disappointed and also just like need to like be better at recognizing that that stuff goes on. Um, and, and be more outspoken, against it and be more aware of it. Um, but it was just, yeah, it was just such a, a yucky situation and, and was just so disappointing. And it just made me think like, this is not like, we're not doing a good enough job of making this an inclusive, safe space for people. Yeah. And I, th- I think I'm hearing a couple of things there. One is that the result of that interaction was very poor because it just fed to the us versus them. Right. So you got people, you know, therapists of color who strike off and they're like, well, we don't want to be a part of this anymore. We're going to be in, we're going to, we're going to segregate. That's not good. And then you yeah. got people who are ostensibly these, um, lifelong learners, introspectionists, you know, deep thinkers who are unwilling to examine their own positions, which you alluded and such that it can reconcile that rift. And and I think that's um that's problematic. Uh because yeah. they're trotting themselves out there to be, you know, open minded and helpful and being able to, you know, not turn away any parties and, and that kind of thing. And then the third thing I picked up on is this idea that um we we as therapists are um I guess as as white therapists too, we we somehow like we're responsible for creating the the culture and the dynamic, but yet you you acknowledge and I've acknowledged this too in my own world where we're surprised that they're not surprised that it goes on, and it's like, I, oh man, I got to align my expectations with reality too. I'm st- we're, like we're still not there, like we're yeah. still not there. Uh, feels like we are sometimes because uh, again, for my little privileged perch, I don't get to you know detect all the insensitive comments going on around me. Um, and then, and then also at the end of the day, you're like, Hey, we're all humans and we're all open to our, you know, fallibilities. And, um, we're all still going to be kind of crude creatures at, you know, at the end of it all. So maybe part of aligning expectations has to acknowledge that very reality too, that it's just, maybe it's just always going to be with us. And, and in certain circles, like the therapeutic circle, it'll be far less than it is in, uh, some other circle that, you know, holds rigidly to its you know, it's biases and it's, and it's, uh, traditions for, you know, for lack of a better, uh, expression, but you're right. It is, it is a bummer. I, I don't want, I don't want to be lumped in with a group that, that does that kind of thing. And I, and I can reflect too, in our state, we've, uh, we've recently undergone a fight where we changed some laws and we, uh, we're no longer the only state in America that doesn't allow its professional counselors and its marriage and family therapists not to treat and diagnose psychotic disorders. Uh, and we're also the only state now that doesn't, uh, exclude its professional counselors from treating, uh, couples and families. And, um, and that was a huge fight because there's, there's some hangers on who were openly discriminatory against their own 
other colleagues by saying that it was academic discrimination is what it was saying, well, you're not, you're not fit. You're not like us. You're not, you're not fit. You're not good to be, you're not good enough. I was like, well, where do you get off? Well, I have a different education. Well, did you attend my school? Well, no, I didn't, but it's like, oh, come on, man. Stop doing that. Yeah, no, and I mean, wherever humans are involved, like, there's going to be ego. Friction, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and so, and, and that's why, you know, I mean, the thing of it is that you're absolutely right. Like, we are all humans. We are all learning. We are all, you know, we all have the capability to do better every day. And I think that was the most disappointing thing for me with that interaction was that people really dug their heels in and became defensive rather than just sort of saying, like, you're right. Um, I was culturally insensitive. And guess what? I'm going to work on 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 doing better, Um, which is what sort of the reaction that I would expect from a competent therapist. Um, And so that was, you know, not the the initial cultural insensitivity was was like, but it was the fact that when they were confronted, um, there appeared to be no self-reflection. There appeared to be no self-analysis. There appeared to be no kind of like backing up and saying, wow, like I didn't intend for this to be hurtful, but it was. And so I'm going to internalize that and I'm going to try to learn how I can not do that again. Um, and and that's, that's where I really found the, the disappointment to be. <laughs> and and for those listening who may not be clinicians and you wonder how this applies to you if you're if you're a client or you're you're thinking about counseling, but this is your your proxy for it um, until you you know decide to actually engage in the in the professional level level of uh, therapy. The reason it's relevant is because as clinicians, we need to be receptive to our clients' feedback. If they say, I don't like that, I didn't like that book recommendation, I don't understand where you're going with this, or maybe you're leading me the wrong direction, I'm not understanding this emotion thing that you're teaching me, Jake, because you're over my head. No, not, that's never happened to me. Um, but we we need to be able to be uh, humble enough and, and take a one-down deferential position enough to say, oh, all right, hold on, let me check myself. What's what's working for you, what's not working for you, so that I don't just go running roughshod over you with what I think you need, um, because ultimately that's not just disrespectful but it, and insensitive, but it's it can create harm, and it can cause lots of bad things to happen in a, in a person, including up to, up to and including, you know, if you judge them and uh, are, are sinister enough, they, they could probably take their own life. But let's back off that ledge a little bit and just say, well, they get turned so off the therapy that they never come back. And then they yeah. just live in misery. I mean, that's, that's miserable because, you know, they took the one chance, they came in, uh, therapist, you know, we don't always get along with our clients. That's fine. Um, we don't always click, but we want to continue building that rapport and working toward establishing a good relationship so that we can say critical things and point out, um, foibles and, you know, and, and shine light in dark spots such that it's still comfortable and we can do it politely and compassionately. And, um, and if we do that and we're not listening to the feedback that says, don't, don't stop, you're hurting me, uh, we may end up pushing somebody away forever. And and that's not good. And it's highly unethical. And what concerns me about the interaction you just described is that that clinician may do that to a client. And I... so to the clients listening or to the random listening audience who's not, not clinically you know uh, geared, I would say... This is a good indicator that if you experience this in your sessions, or if you if you're with a family member and you're watching a family member experience it, uh, including your own children, because we're 
sometimes we're really bad at children. We're better with adults. Um, and your therapist isn't listening to you terminate. I mean, obviously give them a chance like, Hey, you know, correct this please. Cause we, we, by and large, we are very good at receiving feedback. Don't just pull the plug because you had an unpleasant session. Usually, by and large, we are supposed to have unpleasant sessions because disequilibrium is how we grow. But, mm-hmm. um, but point that out. Say, hey, this was really uncomfortable for me, Jake. You know what? And then a good clinician will be able to explain his or her intentionality behind it. And say, well, I expected that. Uh, thank you for pointing it out. Thank you for allowing yourself to let me make you uncomfortable. Um, here's what I had in mind. And then they can hem and haw it and then choose whether or not to come back. But at least they're bringing it to your attention. But if I if my response is, well, it's good for you. I know it's best after all you hired me. Uh, fire me because that's a terrible attitude to take. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Any any defensiveness on on the part of your therapist should be a big red flag. Like therapists, you know, we may feel defensive um, because we're humans, and humans feel defensive sometimes, and that's like for us to work out, <laughs> um, for right. us to consult about, and get supervision about, and maybe even talk to our own therapist about. Um, so you may, you may have a therapist who feels defensive, um, and you may even have a therapist who like names that in the room and kind of says like, oh man, that, what you just said made me feel kind of defensive. Um, and I think that's even appropriate sometimes Mm -hmm. for the therapist, you know, what's coming up for them in the moment. But yeah, if a therapist is just, if you, if you offer a criticism to a therapist and they're like, well, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know why you would even say that, you know, I, I, I wasn't even trying to, you know, gives you any of that shit. Yeah. Like <laughs> maybe give another chance and then terminate. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't, and, and remember like we work for you. Yeah. Exactly. You know, you don't work for us. Uh, we work for you and it's a, it's a humble pleasure to be able to do that. And if we ever get that inverted or twisted around, uh, please feel free to remind us of it because that's how the market should work. If we're crappy at our jobs, like I, t- I tell this to people in public, I used to be chair of my licensing board until up re- until just recently. So I give presentations about laws and ethics and stuff. And, and I, I tell people, I'm like, good therapy is not illegal. I'm sorry. <laughs> Bad therapy is not illegal. Um, yeah. if you act unethically, it can be illegal and we can you know sanction you for that. But, um, bad therapy is not illegal. Bad therapy will drive a person out of the market though, so that they don't get to give bad therapy anymore. So don't keep handing over your money. Don't keep letting them bill your insurance company. If they're doing something that is not working for you, especially if they're being defensive and rude, I mean, never, never tolerate that. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're, you're spot on there. Hey, so um, there's one last thing I wanted to chat with you about that you – I've only listened to maybe four or five of your episodes, but every one of your episodes, uh, you interview somebody about how they got into the field. And mm-hmm. I want you to give us a little version of how – what brought you into the field initially because you and I were chatting offline ahead of time. Um, and just for the listening audience too, if you're listening, you're like, oh man, I'd like to do a podcast someday, but it sounds like you have to know a lot. It turns out we don't. Um <laughs> And uh, one of the one of the mistakes that I like to point out sometimes in the spirit of transparency and, you know, almost giving permission to people to go go do this and make mistakes uh, is that when Mel and I were talking earlier, we 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 were talking, we got to know each other a little bit. We started recording and about 10 minutes into the recording, I looked at my computer and it was lagging so far behind that I didn't think it was recording. And sure enough, it wasn't. And uh, so we had to redo the whole thing. (laughs) This is part of the original recording, but um Tell people how you got into the field because I think it's I think it's interesting. I think people have lots of paths. And another, I guess, permission I'd like to give people if I'm if I may do so is 
that if you think you're like in a career and you're like, oh man, I'm contemplating leaving my career, but I'm not sure I can do it for all the uh, reasons we listed off before expense, you know, all that stuff. Um, here's, here's a, a possibility for you. So <laughs> go ahead and show, tell them how you got into this field. Yeah. Um, so you mean the mental health field or the podcast field or both? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I'll start with the mental health field cause that came first. Um, you know, I, I never really thought I wanted to be, um, a therapist or a counselor when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, anything like that. You know, I did, uh, have that thing that I think a lot of counselors have where people always told me I was a good listener, you know, blah, 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 oh, whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, but what I did want to do actually was be a teacher. Um, and that was kind of the idea that I had ending high school, going through college. And I was like, yeah, this is what I really want to do. Um, and uh, I studied abroad um, the year before I graduated. And uh, then after I graduated undergrad, I went back to that country, uh, which is the country of Chile. Uh, and I taught English for a year. <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> Um, I really hated it. I like, it was frustrating. Um, I just, there was nothing about actually teaching that I liked. Um, but what I did like was getting to know my students, um, because I was teaching at kind of a trade school. So my students were actually adults and I would get so frustrated with them because they would always skip class or they'd come in late or how dare they. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so, I, you know, would get so frustrated, but what I tried to do was I tried to get to know them outside of class, and once I got to know a lot of them, it was so much easier for me to understand their behavior and to be patient and to be empathetic to their situations, and it actually made my job a lot easier because I wasn't, you know, about to blow my gasket all the time because I was so frustrated, um, and so throughout that time, I kind of thought, you know, well, this is really fulfilling to me, like getting to know people, hearing their stories, um, learning about what makes them who they are, um, and also learning about how that informs the way that they behave and the choices that they make. Um, and so at that point, I thought, I think I might want to be a counselor or a therapist. And um, at the time, I was really into the idea of school counseling. Um, and I, that's what I got my master's degree in. Um, I got my master's degree online, by the way, that's something you can do. Um, excellent Avenue. Yeah. Uh, Seton Hall university, they have an awesome program. Um, and so I got it remotely, which meant that I could actually move, uh, I moved from California to Texas about a year into my master's program and, um, wanted to be a school counselor found out that in Texas, in order to be a school counselor, they make you teach for two years, uh, which was something that I didn't know and didn't bother to research before I actually moved to Texas. Um, and so even though I, you know, really liked the school environment and liked working with kids, um, I decided that I wanted to just go the LPC route because I knew how much I hated teaching and I really didn't want to have to do that um, in order to become a school counselor. So that was what kind of routed me into where I am now. And I've worked at a variety of different places with different um, populations. I've worked at a domestic violence shelter. 
Um, I've worked at a child advocacy center. I have worked now at sort of a private practice agency. Um, and I'm still kind of trying to figure out exactly what I want my long-term career and goals to look like. But um, I know that I, you know, want to make therapy more accessible. Um, and whatever that will look like, you know, will will be determined. <laughs> Open your so- own agency and become a supervisor of interns and host graduate students. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what you should do. Yeah, that sounds like, I mean, I would love to do that. So, um, yeah. And then in terms of the podcast, um, you know, I am like a voracious listener of podcasts. It's probably my favorite medium. Um, I There are so many that I just love so much. And I kind of got it into my head that it'd be fun to do a podcast. Um, and I didn't have any idea for what I actually wanted to talk about. I was just like, Oh no, it's a podcast. Uh, and so the next question was like, well, what do I know enough about that people would actually care to listen to me talk about? (laughs) Um, which is, you know, there's a, like a Venn diagram there. So, um, you know, I thought about a lot of different things. You know, I'm a huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. Um, totally. I water polo for a long time. Um, I love to read. I love to watch movies. And I kind of thought about all these, like, different possibilities. And then I was like, well, you know, I do probably know more about therapy than I know about anything. Um, since I'm a therapist. And so... Uh, I talked to some friends, I talked to my boyfriend, and sort of conceptualized this idea of um, this little show with interviews where I just talked to people about therapy and about their experience with it, whether it was good or bad, Um, and, you know, I would interview people who had been in therapy and also people who are therapists, um, and sometimes both, because that overlaps quite a bit, um, and just try to do the work to make therapy less scary. You know, that was ultimately the sort of mission statement that we came up with. Like, I just want to make this something that we feel okay to talk about. It's not scary. It's not weird. You don't have to be, you know, loony or crazy to engage in it. It's something as normal as going to the doctor for a checkup, you know, going to the mechanic to get your car fixed. Like, I just want to make therapy something that is on everybody's mind that everybody talks about. I'm really proud of you because that echoes the same line that I've been pushing for a while now, which is make therapy cool. Make counseling cool. I want I want people taking selfies in the lobby of Zephyr Wellness and post them to Instagram with captions that say, you know, get my anxiety treatment on. Uh, yeah. Just as much as they post their CrossFit videos on Facebook. I, I think it should be that normal. And um, yeah. I appreciate you doing that. That's awesome. Well, welcome to the tribe. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm so grateful um, to have found your podcast. And like I said, I think before we started, it seemed like our missions are very much aligned of just like, hey, like, let's make this thing that people talk about without apprehension, without feeling like, you know, the door is shut to them, um, without feeling like they can't understand it or anything like that. Like, let's just make this something that's very accessible. But have you tried therapy? 
But have you considered? <laughs> but have you considered there? Yeah. So that's that's the name of your podcast, and that's your Instagram. Your Instagram handle is at Consider Therapy. Her name is Melanie Dyer. She is currently working at Therapy Austin. You can find out more about her by going to therapyaustin.com and just searching the counselors and looking up Melanie if you want her services. Uh, they're available to you, and uh, she sounds amazing. She sounds excellent. I think you're uh, and like no kidding, like not fluffing you at all here. I think you're going to be an amazing supervisor one day because you consider all these angles. I think you're going to be great. I think you definitely should consider becoming a supervisor and that you have so much practice with different um, settings and that you want to bring this – like message to the world, I really encourage you to consider opening your own agency, hiring a bunch of people, and that and that's how you that's how you do it. That's how you grow the field. I mean, eventually your own caseload diminishes, but you've got twenty other people you gave the opportunity to to practice in an ethical setting. I, I really I sense that for you. I could see it in your future. So please consider that. Um, Thanks. Yeah. No. That's um, I, that's incredibly flattering, and I really appreciate that. And I think that that would be a, a very cool path to take. So. Um, I'm hopeful that I can uh, manifest that for myself at some point. Yeah, definitely. And and you will, again, you'll be augmenting the field by showing people that it's it's not this big spooky thing. Like business ownership's not, it's hard. It's very hard. Right. Don't And it's expensive. Don't get me wrong. And it takes a lot of sacrifice. But in the end, the autonomy that you receive because of it is um, is very cool. Uh, the, the liberty is amazing, and it, what it does is it allows you to go out and do cool things like podcasts, which we obviously need more of, um, and then go do all the advocacy stuff that you're talking about without worrying about how many client hours you're missing out on uh, with all the meetings that you have to attend, you know, that kind of thing. So thank you very, very much for spending the time. Thank you, especially for sacrificing the first half hour with our technical glitch (laughs) and hanging with me. So much for having me. And um, this has been, this is my first podcast that I've I've actually got to be on. So this has been really exciting. I make a far better guest than a host. So uh, when we reciprocate, I'm going to be dazzling, I promise. Oh, I can't wait. No, yeah, we will We will make that happen as soon as possible. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks to the listening audience. Uh, on behalf of the Naganotes team and our Zephyr Wellness family, and on behalf of uh, Consider Therapy, or have you considered therapy, <laughs> uh, we wish you all great mental wellness. Uh, take care. Bye.